millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. G'day. I'm Chris Farnham from the National Security College and you are listening to the National Security Podcast brought to you by Policy Forum in conjunction with the National Security College. And with me today, I actually have one of my colleagues, Dr. Michael Cohen. He is a senior lecturer at the National Security College where he specialises in interstate conflict in Asia and nuclear proliferation with a bit of a focus on North Korea and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. G'day, Michael. Welcome to the National Security Podcast. G'day. So, Singapore, Mm. that wonderful piece of theatre and pageantry Mm -hmm. that we all have to work hard on actually taking seriously. Now, did you put together a special video and bring it to me today? Or is that that something that only presidents do for despots and dictators? indeed. Indeed. Right, unfortunate. So what did you think of the video? Have you seen it? I did. It was quite entertaining. Notice how at one point Kim was... Trump did say to Kim... He repeated his his emphasis that this is a one-time shot. And so I sort of took that video as trying to again threaten North Korea that this a, a deal had better be done. Um, but that that's I think that's part of it. But the other part of it is just Trump being Trump. Well, he loves his showmanship, doesn't he? Indeed. So let, let's actually have a look at the meeting. First off, did was there anything about the summit and the outcomes that surprised you other than the craziness and the pageantry in looking at the actual meat and the substance of the negotiations and the outcomes? Yeah, I was surprised by how little Kim had to concede. He, it's sort of advantage Kim now because Trump has met with him, mm-hmm. uh, given the regime and that regime's nuclear program legitimacy for v- either hardly anything or very little in return, a sort of vague commitment to denuclearization. But notice how it's vague enough that Kim can now turn around to Trump and say, oh, well, I, w- I thought you said you'd do this. You haven't done it. We're now totally walking away from this agreement. If that was to happen, it's Kim one, Trump zero. All right. Now, I just wanted to take you up on something there. We're talking about, um, and there's been a lot of talk out in the media, that Trump has already handed Kim a win by meeting him. He's given him some kind of legitimacy. Now, can you tell me, what that will give Kim that he didn't have before and how that will make him, how, how will he act differently now he has this legitimacy? Yes, it, it certainly shores up his domestic hold on power. Now, that's actually the point I was looking at. Sorry to interrupt you. Does, he, does that make any difference? He already has. He controls all of the information. He has ultimate power. How does that change anything at home for him? Well, yeah, so there's, there's such um, tough economic constraints that the regime, this is why the regime clamps down on dissent so vigorously, that 
having now a picture with President Trump that he can that he can show to his people that North Korean leaders, after all, have been after since 1953. It won't solve all the regime's problems, but it's certainly something that any North Korean leader is going to jump at. Yeah, so I, I agree with you on the fact that he can now show that to his people and say, look, I have brought the world's leaders to my table to talk to me. We are one of the world-leading countries and we play in the big leagues. However, as you said, they've been trying to do that for 50 years now and they've held on to power through three generations. Without that meeting, they still would have held on to power. So I'm not actually sure that it changes that much. Well, there's a few other things that change. So notice how all, Trump has also bestowed legitimacy on North Korea's nuclear program. So now you can imagine states like South Korea, Japan, and maybe even us in Australia looking at that nuclear program a little bit differently. Now it's, an, it's not so much an, um, a, a, a nuclear program of an international pariah. It's a nuclear program of a state that's at least somewhat more legitimate than it was before, which might embolden Kim more in his dealings and diplomacy with others in the region and might cause South Koreans, Japan, Jap, Jap, Japanese and others to take stock and be a little more cautious. Now, do you, do you think that um, that legitimacy that has apparently been bestowed on, on Chairman Kim can be easily removed. Yeah, so how could you remove that? I mean, you, that's something that's not easily undone. Trump, imagine Trump was to come tomorrow and say, that was the biggest mistake I've ever made. I should never have done that. Now, Well, apart from him saying he made a mistake, that I can't believe that he'd ever say, but yeah. I can believe he would go back on his word tomorrow. He doesn't seem yeah, to have any problem in indeed, doing that. Indeed. It's it's really, it's, one of the, it's hard to undo, isn't it? I mean, Trump's, Trump's met with him. The photos have been taken. I mean, it's kind of like Nixon's visit to China. He can't sort of undo that visit, can mm, he? Mm. Um, even if this thing falls away now, which is kind of what I was saying before, mm. there's also Trump kind of really needs things to, to, to kick on and to get some concession from the North Koreans so things look more like a one-all scoreline. Mm. But right, right now, North Korea's got this sort of legitimacy boost or whatever you want to call it. Um, that Trump has, and Trump hasn't got anything in return. What makes this kind of worse is that that sends a signal to Kim that if he was if he was able to get that for nothing, maybe he can get more for nothing, which encourages him to sort of double down and tow a much harder negotiating line. So yes, those U.S. sanctions are still there, but it sort of really encourages Kim to play hardball. Mm. And I mean, like the North Koreans do have quite a history in getting as much as they can and then turning around and and as Bill Gates said, forcing anyway. yeah, forcing the U.S. to buy the same horse twice. That's right, exactly. Now, I wanted to talk about the other issue that um, people have been very up in arms about in terms of what Trump has offered the Koreans, the North Koreans, and that is the cessation of um, exercises with South Korea, military Mm. exercises. What's your takeaway from that? I'm not sure that they're as costly as Trump is saying they are. In financial terms, you mean? Yeah, so Trump's saying that this is a huge cost to the American taxpayer. I mean, I think it certainly is the cost that it's true. Those troops being there is costly, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that one, you know, military exercise over a few days is as costly as Trump's making out. Mm. So that's probably a minor, that's another minor concession. I mean, he would say that the North Korea Koreans have stopped tests, have stopped their weapons and missiles testing. Yes, they have agreed to repatriate the remains of prisoners of war and sort of a couple of other more more or less minor things. The big question will be, of course, Trump has signaled, not for the first time, that he wants to really substantially downgrade uh, the US military footprint in South Korea, maybe Japan as well. Um, the question then is, what does North Korea, so the North Koreans would have taken notice of this, they'd be trying to do as little as possible to get Trump to go as far as possible. Um, I can't imagine 
North Korea getting rid of all of its nuclear weapons, because I think I can imagine Kim saying, look, if we get rid of everything, you get rid of everything too. And that's just not going to happen. That would be unprecedented. I can imagine Kim getting rid of some nuclear weapons. Maybe he gets rid of the strategic weapons capable of targeting Washington and keeps the medium range ones. But if he was to do that, that would he'd probably demand a major drawdown in the US alliance with South Korea. And that then poses all of the Indo-Pacific with a problem. South Korea is then now suddenly in a position where it's reassessing the provision of its own security, assessing all sorts of things from a, a really new US alliance, nuclear weapons themselves, in which case the Japanese look very hard. Um, whatever South Korea does, this may have ripple on effects to us in Australia. If, if if, just imagine South Korea facing a North Korea without strategic nuclear weapons capable of targeting Washington, but still with medium range ones capable of targeting Seoul and Japan and US bases that President Trump has given his blessing to, mm. um, and with a really downgraded alliance that Trump has really signaled he's not interested in. If you were South Korea, where just a year or two ago, 66% of public opinion was sort of pro South Korea getting their own nuclear weapons or something like that, wouldn't you be... I'd be worried that South Korea may, I'm not saying they will cross the threshold, I hope they won't, but they certainly, they'd be, I'd be a little worried that they may get a little bit closer. And of course, given the rivalry between South Korea and Japan, were South Korea to go there, that raises all sorts of alarm bells in Tokyo, which again, has massive implications for us in Australia. Yeah, I'm keen to move on and, and, and look at the regional dynamic in a minute. <clears throat> but I wanted to go back to these uh, military exercises. Um, their particular costs in financial uh, terms, with how high they are and how much a cost to fly a B-2 from Guam is almost beside the point, to be honest. Um, but the cost of 30-plus thousand Marines and um, military units in South Korea is, is a significant cost. And there has been a, a lot of concern and anxiety in the media from many different angles that uh, the switching of the uh, of these exercises or the, or the uh, cessation of these exercises is a real score for for Kim because uh, he didn't the US didn't really get anything from it other than um, a commitment to a very nebulous idea that there is no quite definite terms about and and reinstituting an agreement that he'd already made um, However, um, just to make a point on that, these exercises can also be turned on back in an instant. That's actually a negotiating um, uh, piece of leverage or a point of leverage that Trump has now got. He can easily turn that back on. So when people say that Trump gave away something and got nothing in return, did he really give something away or is he creating negotiating space? I think this, yeah, I think so. Just as, you know, Kim can say, yes, we haven't tested any more weapons, but Kim can just as just as easily do that. Don't think for a moment there's no more missile testing facilities or That's underground right. caves at North Korea, underground facilities at yeah, North well, Korea. Well, they've blown up Yongbyon once before, haven't they? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. All right. So when that means that we're we're looking at, at two two players, both seemingly playing the madman strategy against each other, and uh, both manoeuvring into a negotiating position. So they're both looking for a particular outcome, which means that they neither of them believe the other side has the same outcome in mind as they do. Indeed. Notice also that we're just to get back on your point about the troops leaving the peninsula. They can come back. That's right. Um, you know, Trump either has three more years in power or seven more years, and maybe something else if he leaves under other conditions, but it's either three or seven. Um, if I'm North Korea, I'm thinking in eight years' time, or whatever it is, Democratic president, if that Democratic president overturns all of Trump's 
policy brings the alliance back overnight, I'd want some kind of insurance against that. That if, if Kim really was to get rid of the entire North Korean nuclear infrastructure, just ship that off to Tennessee, then he's leaving himself deeply vulnerable. So I can imagine at best, you know, after a staged process with excellent diplomacy, after five or 10 years, a reduction in North Korea's nuclear arsenal, but it's not all going away. And I mean, how do you, how does North Korea... I mean, how would if you were if you were Kim, how would you deal with the fact that Trump is going to be around for either three or seven more years? Now, if, if, I'm not saying for a moment that Trump should be there forever, but if he was, that's a bit different. But he won't be. Well, even then, you're talking about a president who has no problems whatsoever, completely denying what he said yesterday and some, saying something completely different. Indeed. So whether it's Trump for the next seven years or a, a different president in three years' time, I'm not even sure that comes into the equation, to be honest. Now, looking at, at it from a regional perspective. How do you think China sees the outcome of the summit this week? I think China's certainly thankful, both for the cessation in weapons tests and threats, certainly a nice change for them from last year, and certainly this, trumet, this, summit, trumet, this summit should signal a continuation of um, confidence-building measures and um, other sort of peaceful initiatives on the Korean Peninsula. But if I'm the Chinese, I'm thinking, so, okay, in the longer run, you know, this can't go on forever. What happens next? Um, when do, you know, they'd be looking to when the North Koreans make what commitment. To the extent that the North Koreans commit to do not to do nothing, or in effect, what turns out to be effectively nothing, we eventually get back to the sort of Korean-Cuban missile crisis scenario um, that's probably inevitable in, in the Trump's first or second term. To the extent that they do make substantial concessions, that sort of raises the question of how South Korea responds. And if I'm China, I don't want South Korea getting nuclear weapons. And I don't want, I, I'm very much want the US and South Korea to part ways, but I'm very interested in how South Korea replaces that alliance. I'm not, I can't imagine China sort of swooping in and the South signing up to some new alliance with China. So how does the South replace that? And what are its implications for China? So they'll be watching this very carefully. Absolutely. And how do you think Japan would see the outcome of this week? I think they'd they'd be, they'd be relieved um, that that we we had a that first and foremost just a, just a cessation of tensions. But they'd be thinking, especially after Trump made his speech about the U.S. U.S. troops in South Korea, exactly uh, what commitment, what sort of um, drawdowns of his Asian alliances is Trump going to sell out? When's he going to do this? And what do the North Koreans have to do to get that? And if I'm Japan, how do we respond to that? All right. And just lastly, um, I'm not sure if you look too much at what happens in Iran, but how do you see the the US pulling themselves out of the JCPOA affecting uh, what North Korea is thinking and what the region is thinking about any kind of commitment that comes from any American government yeah. at the moment? I think I may have set read somewhere that the Iranians some, at some point messaged the North Koreans and said, don't trust Trump. Um, which is very telling. And if if I was the North Koreans, I'd be looking at the Iranian, the Iranian deal and thinking, well, Obama worked very hard to get this, but then new administration as you get in democracies and Trump, turn, Trump turned it out, which gets back to my earlier point. What happens after Trump? I think it's very relevant. You know, if Trump was here forever, that's a bit different because, you know, Kim Jong-un's playing the long game, but he knows Trump won't be. And so no matter what, if, you know, even if a lot can be done in eight years, Trump, Kim's got to think, well, what about 10 years? And, he, and it could be the case that Trump authorizes policy so substantial that it's very hard for a later U.S. president to backtrack on that. But troops can be brought back to the Korean Peninsula just like that. So 
if I was Kim, I'd be very wary. Thanks very much, Michael. I think that is good advice for Kim. And I think that's also good advice for all of us in the region as we see our future being negotiated on the global stage by two very interesting chaps. And thank you all for joining us for this National Security Podcast Extra. We are very keen to hear your thoughts on our discussion today. Did President Trump give away too much and get too little? Is Chairman Kim leading us all down the nuclear path? Or are we actually moving towards a more safer and stable Korean peninsula and therefore a safer and more stable region? Really keen to hear your thoughts on that. You can get in touch. Um, You can get in touch with us on email at podcast at policyforum.net on Twitter at Apps Policy Forum, that's A-P-P-S Policy Forum, and on Facebook at Asia Pacific Policy Society. We will be returning with our regular podcast early next week where we will be discussing the US Alliance Network and what these interesting times mean for Australian national security policy. And also I just want to give a quick shout out and great thanks to everyone who's been in touch online to offer their support and show their interest. I might make special mention to former President Obama and Chancellor Merkel and uh, Mr Henry Kissinger that have all showed their great interest at coming on our show. So thanks very much to everyone who's been in touch and we look forward to chatting to you in the future. Good on you. See you next time.